Hi, I'm Marielle Hemingway. As a mental health advocate and author, I love books. Books have the capacity to inspire, educate, transform, and ultimately help readers all over the world. So if you want to publish your book or if you need help writing your story, I highly recommend Mindstir Media, rated the number one best book publisher around the country. Mindstir Media can help you no matter where you are in the book writing or publishing process. Go to mindstermedia.com to learn more and schedule a consultation. This episode is brought to you by Mindstir Media and the Sunrise segment of the Outcomes of Sun podcast radio. Out Comes the Sun, with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Out Comes the Sun Radio. I am here, Mariel Hemingway, with my brilliant co-host, Melissa Yamaguchi. And today, we, well, we always have a great show. We have a wonderful, fun guest that uh, I'm... I'm still laughing because we had a lot of fun with her <laughs> and we're, you're going to have a lot of fun with her. But before we get to that, let's, let's talk about stuff. Yep. Let's talk about, um, let's talk a little bit about our healthcare system oh, and boy. like what you've been dealing with, uh, mm-hmm. with your father-in-law, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's rough, man. Yep. So my father-in-law is 87 and, you know, military life, young young military man young in his career began and right had some health issues as a result of some of the choices that were made not by him and so now here we are at this later point in this stage of his life and we're working with it and i um i have stepped in because his children can't always be available to go to every doctor's appointment and so forth and i'm and i'm more than happy to step in and help but um I came across a situation today that left me completely flabbergasted. And, you know, one of the things that I want to share with you, Mariel, you and I talk about this all the time, is the art of being kind. And it costs, you know, it, it costs you nothing to be sweet and kind to people, even if you're having a bad day, just kind of rise above as much as you can. My father-in-law was a bit agitated. You know, he's been going to doctors here and there, not really getting answers, but having more tests run, and we're not sure. And sometimes the doctors don't agree with one another, and that puts my father-in-law in a bit of a funk. Yeah. And so he was a little agitated today, and it wasn't comfortable for everybody because he was agitated, but, you know, he should be offered grace. And so I was kind of, you know, kind of hand to the side of the mouth telling the nurses he's a little agitated. And typically he's a camper. He's a pretty good camper. He'll go along and go into these meetings and not really understand why it's taking so long. But he's patient. He has been. Today he wasn't feeling that way so much. I know it's energy. His energy was a bit twisted upside down. And that's okay. We afford him grace. But And the nurses were sweet. But um, the doctor came in and my father-in-law was a bit a bit cantankerous, if you will, with the doctor. Um, And the doctor became a little incensed, but perhaps didn't feel as though he could direct his frustration towards my father-in-law. So boomeranged it over to me and was snapping at anything I was telling him. And 
it's been my practice thus far, going to the doctors, is keeping them abreast of what the other doctors are saying, because I believe it should be a collective front helping oh, my father-in-law. And when I shared with the doctor something another doctor had said, he stood up and slammed his clipboard and said, you can't say that. I said, well, I'm not giving the diagnosis. And he said, you know, um, you guys, he said, you have been uh, difficult to deal with today. I, it's the first thing I had said. I had not said one word, but he was really frustrated with whatever. I don't know. Maybe he had another patient that was cantankerous as well. I left realizing my father-in-law became even more aggravated. So I really took my energy down, 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 calm. And yeah. let the doctor have his moment. It wasn't about me. I don't know what it was about. A little bit of an ego involved, maybe. And maybe all the energy in the room. Got my father-in-law out. Drove him home. We didn't even talk about it. But as I was driving to to um, work with you today and to share, you know, energy and good news and hope and yeah. promise about all the things that are going on in the world, I remembered an article that my mom had sent me. My 85-year-old resource assistant, my research assistant, my mother, who's brilliant at this, sent me this great article in the LA Times about this doctor who's 101 years old and he still goes to work, Mariel. And he's, mm -hmm. you can't tell. They said, you can't tell by looking at him. He's a little rounded in the shoulders, but they said he still moves with a lot of, with a pretty strong gait, a little sprite, you know, and he's, he goes into his office twice a week. And the other three days he is conferring with colleagues and he's on Zoom with different medical schools throughout the country, helping them with ideas and working with research people, trying to figure out ways to cure certain things and work on different ailments and, and addressing new ailments that are new that, that weren't on the horizon before, maybe from you know, looking over at our phones, hunched over, whatever the issues are. And when he was asked by a reporter, why are you still working at 101 when you could easily have retired 45 years ago? And he said, what? He said, I took an oath to do no harm. I took an oath to help. And he said, if I'm still mentally and and physically capable of providing that help why wouldn't i he said i love my patients i love trying to help people and i want to be a resource for people who don't have access to good health care and who don't have solutions i think i can still provide that now when i can no longer provide it i'll step away but mariel 101 god love him also, he comes from a generation that probably, and I don't know about the other doctor that you saw, but he comes from a generation that's about, you know, their bedside manner was yes. very different. I remember yeah. my mother being sick with cancer when I was a kid or my father having, you know, having a heart attack and being in the hospital. It was different. There yeah. was a different sensibility. People were, it was still like, you know, neighborhood doctors or, yeah. or you know like the town the town healer doctor whatever they still had that feel to it and it seems to me that this guy who is 101 feels like you know like he's still that guy he still yeah. wants to go. and and by the way i totally get it i get that it's like you know because people say to me like well, wow, you could retire. What? I mean, to me, I actually feel like I'm at the beginning of my life. Like, why would I retire at 65? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I, you know, like it, it never has, though. I don't believe in that sort of like rote thing where you go and 
you know, you're out of college and then you have a family and then you work and, you know, you pay the mortgage off and you do all this stuff. And then and then you retire. But usually so many people, you know, they get to that age and they're sick because they spent all their time working without passion. You know, I think that that has a lot to do with it. It sounds like this man has a passion for what he does. Gosh, I invite everyone to find their passion. I don't care what age you are. Find your passion and do it. And don't quit doing it until you can't do it anymore. Right. And age is a number. It is a number. I mean, when I was a kid, women were old at 50. Now you got women at 50 going, 50 is a new 20 or whatever. They're throwing their, it's not, it doesn't phase them because they don't see it. Right. Right. And to answer your, you alluded to the age of the doctor that I was grumbling and griping about. 68, 72, somewhere in there. Oh, wow. Not a, well, yeah, not a young camper, but I don't know what took place in his day. I think the point of me wanting to share that besides, you know, dumping and I for, so please forgive me for that. But I, I, I think what I what I was driving to work and to meet with you to do this, I was thinking, I remember that guy that was 101. And the joy he had in doing what he does. I mean, there's hundred year old skin. I guess it's attitude too. It is, like, man. He just has a different way of starting his day, a, di- a different way of looking at life, right? So this, it sounds like the other doctor like goes to work. It's work, right? right. You no, know, it's heavy. It's work. I'm, you know, and those damn patients who don't appreciate me. Who knows what his story is, right? He's got right. a. Something's going on. We all got stories. He's not appreciating him. Yeah. And, you know, and but all that said, you're a professional. It's it, it, you know, it reminds me of when I was um, when I was working in uh, in film a lot. You know, I still do. But when when other actors would show up and they would act like, you know, quote unquote stars and they would be pissy about things and demanding about things. And I thought to myself, you know, that has a lot to do with their story too. What insecurity is that trying to fill? But at the end of the day, it was way easier to be nice and smile and be a part of the crew and thank you. And boy, does work go better when, when everybody feels included and you know, and not like I'm the expert and you don't know what you're talking about. It's kind of <laughs> like, sure, it gets annoying because I'm sure people are like, I look at the, the public's hard. Yeah. Hard. I look at the this and this and, you know, it, it must be frustrating, but not everybody. But you got to come into each room as though it's new. It's not That's exactly it right. What you just left or exactly the person right. you thought. They were an expert or, you know, or your wife called you on the phone and told you something. You got to reassess, you know, and I'm not just talking about doctors. You've got to kind of think about. And if if we're even thinking about like the nowest, right, being present, present, you can let go of what just happened. You can let go of those stories that were. And then and then to be to do whatever you do with passion and presence. Wow, that. That to me is what the key is. It's like, don't show up with your baggage. I don't no. need your baggage. And, you and know? being I'm not in the present, you, mine, you don't give me yours. And being in the present is also a form of ikigai, which is capturing the joy and essence of life. And you know, you, um, you and I, you and I, 
talk every day and our audience knows that but for those who are tuning in for the first time Marilyn and I talk every day sometimes <laughs> sometimes 12 and 13 14 15 times a day if I'm lucky <laughs> so we talk every day and we talk because we're able to, we we work through things together as friends and every day is not sunshine and roses i mean that's silly to think so but we work through it we talk through it and then we don't take it out to everyone else we don't we never show up on our show you know slamming and jamming i mean i did a little bit today but we don't show up <laughs> slamming and jamming usually but it's also i also think we always try to share things that you as the audience who are listening are probably dealing with their in their yep. own life we try to share things like, oh, I went to the market today saying, you know, whatever. And and this is what I came across. And, whoa, it blew my mind. Or the homeless are outside my house. And this is, these are issues. You know, these are issues in the yeah, community. I think that we all deal with them. And it's like being aware of how you're dealing with it. You know, like I could be grumpy every day about about the homeless or I can just think, oh, wait, I, I, I got to remember that they, you know, they have a story there. It might be mental illness. It might be this, that, and the, the other. You know, you just have to go in. Today is the new day. Yep. So it, join in, participate in being kind about all of it. I don't and, know. And I want to, I think, I think the number one reason I wanted to share is because I know that people encounter this. I hear people all the time talk about, oh, you know, the, the way I was treated, the way my parents are treated, the elder, the elderly not being taken care of, whatever it is. This doctor who is 101 and is still practicing is a Holocaust survivor. Ah, so there are many reasons to think, well, I should be angry or bitter at the world because of. But all also, of us have a story. All it of us have a story. A lot of it shows you a lot of why he should be, why he is incredibly grateful for every day. And just grateful to be here. But uh, he could, he could be bitter on some level. Yeah. But this man yeah. who has endured so much and is so beautiful and grateful and loves his patients and loves what he does. I think that for me, the takeaway is, yes, to everything you were saying about how we bring, we, we bring in our own sunshine. We determine the weather that day for ourselves. But I, what helped me move away a little bit from my total confusion on what just happened, because I haven't encountered that, that blatantly before with my father-in-law or my mom or my father or anyone else. What took my takeaway and what helped me kind of recenter was remembering, yes, this guy has a story. I've got to learn to breathe and not let his his vitriol stick to me because any barnacle on my own ship has to be something that I'm chipping away. That's something that I need to deal with. I don't need to start bringing other people's baggage and junk onto my, my journey, but reminding myself that, yeah, there's enough beautiful beauty in the world. There's enough good people. This doctor who's 101, there's another woman that I, I want to, I want us to bring on the show. She's a wish I wish we could, but we got a break. Oh, breaks are for wimps. Knocking. She is knocking on our door. We'll continue this conversation because it really is great. Um, you're listening to Outcomes of Sun Radio and Melissa Yamaguchi and myself, Marielle Hemingway, will be right back. Good. 
Good morning, Santa Barbara. You're listening to The Morning Show with Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi, that'd be me, right here on KZSB 96.9 FM and 1290 AM in Santa Barbara. They forget my name. Aim, aim, aim. They call me help. They call me Stacy. They call me Hub. They call me Jane. That's not my name. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Outcomes of Sun Radio with Melissa Yamaguchi, my wonderful co-host, and myself, Mariel Hemingway. And we have such a fun, amazing guest whom I got to meet not that long ago at a crazy event called a Puppathon. Anyway, we'll go into that probably during our interview. Regardless of that, her name is Dee Dee Pfeiffer, and she's an amazing human being. Uh, she comes from truly humble begin- beginnings. Dee Dee, her brother Rick, and her sisters Lori and Michelle Pfeiffer, whom you might know, grew up in Midway City, California, as the children of a heating and air conditioning contractor and a homemaker. Dee Dee Pfeiffer landed her first movie role in John Landis's film, Into the Night, and her first television role in the series, Simon and Simon. She went on to star opposite Grace Jones in the horror cult classity called Vamp and was in such films as the cult classes, uh, cult classic Falling Down with Michael Douglas, such a great film, and in the award-winning film L.A., I hate you. Um, <laughs> Didi was cast as, on Sybil as Sybil Shepard's daughter, Rachel. Uh, Sybil went on to earn nearly three dozen awards and nominations, picking up three primetime Emmy Awards on the Golden Globe Award for and on the Golden Globe Award winning television series, musical or comedy. Didi and the rest of the cast were nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Award for ex- outstanding performance by an ensemble in a comedy series. Dee Dee went on to star in the series For Your Love and guest starred in several of the most iconic shows on television, uh, including Seinfeld, Friends, and two CSI series and ER. Whew. Okay, you just did too much work. In 2020, she began starring as Denise Brisbane in the ABC crime drama drama called Big Sky, created by her brother-in-law, David E. Kelly, super talented guy. I have a little history with him. And although Dee Dee has officially made made it a long time ago in Hollywood as an actor, which he may be most proud of is making it in life in her recent recovery, which I honor you there. My friend Dee Dee Pfeiffer is our very, very special guest today on Outcomes the Sun. So welcome, Dee Dee. Exhausted? Are you? I'm exhausted. You've done too much. You're too cool, and you know whatever. So let let me ask you something. I actually want to ask you about something kind of uh, something that I relate to because Didi, this show is really has a lot to do with mental health, right? And so uh, you know, I come from a family of 
addiction, suicide, mental illness, blah, blah, blah. The story goes on. And I bet, kind of like me, um, maybe even more so, you've gotten a million questions and suggestions that somehow your challenges in life are because of your older sister, Michelle Pfeiffer, or that, that all of your life has been kind of, it's under this bubble of like, well, it must be because of, and you know, I, and I've gotten that. So I, I completely understand. I, I've, you know, they called it the Hemingway curse. I come from all these suicides in my family, so everybody wants to think, oh, you know, you've been worried your whole life. And by the way, I was worried a great deal of my life because of that. But I'm sure, I'm sure it's kind of frustrating to think. Oh my gosh! I'm only I, I'm only valued because of my older sister and and her rise or fall or whatever it is in her life that all of a sudden I validate myself based on somebody else. Do you have any thoughts on that? I'm so glad you brought that up and it's a beautiful question. Thank you for that. Um, well, you know, it's funny. I actually, I was asked, here we go, to be the keynote speaker at the Betty Ford 40th anniversary of their of their um, organization. I didn't even get sober at Betty Ford. I was sober at a little rehab in Hollywood. But this is what sobriety looks like. This is what recovery looks like. This is why I'm recovering out loud. Because, and by the way, addiction and mental health, they go hand in hand. I always say trauma and addiction, they love to tango. Long story short, when they asked me to be a keynote speaker, I had no idea how to talk in front of a thousand people or what. It felt like a thousand people. Anyways, in my keynote speak, I wrote a letter to my dad is what I did, who also went to the light. I, call, I don't believe in death with his disease of alcoholism. And in there, I say, I bring up my sister. I bring up like, you know, if I was Michelle Pfeiffer's sister, I'd drink too. And I said, as if my sister has anything to do with my being an addict. What? That makes no sense. But I can see how they would go there, you know, or I would think that I'm less than because of her because she is amazing. Oh, my God. Beautiful, talented, uh, successful, married, children. You know, she's got a lot going on. She's also a human being. People don't see that side of that. But you're right. It's like you have the Hemingway. I got the Pfeiffer name. And Shell's also, Shell's all like mysterious. So a lot of people pr- project their narrative all into that silence as yeah. if dot, dot, dot. They have not a clue that she's goofy, that she's a little nerdy, that she's funny as hell, that she's one of the most compassionate, sweetest women. And she and my other sister and my brother were hugely instrumental in my recovery. Oh, my God. So... It's, I can see how people do that. So that's one thing I have the opportunity to do is to say that, yes, internal family systems, meaning that people around you have everything to do with your mental health and or your addiction and other things because you're a unit, right? In your environment, it's biopsychosocial. But is she the reason why I drink too much? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, she's literally there on the flip side to really help me in any way she can. Being a normie, she has no addiction, you know, <laughs> nor is my other sister or brother. Um, But the mental health part, girl, my father was, you know, an an addict. Like I said, he went to, well, he left the earth. He left his earth body from cancer, but he certainly left with his disease. That was never, he just couldn't drink in the hospital. Okay. That was just the bottom line. (laughs) So he did not get sober. He was forced. Yeah. But my mom had shock treatments in the fifties for mental health issues, which really at the end of the day, when I was in college, I did research on what happened because she was still with us at the time. Wow. Just good old fashioned postpartum. But back then in the fifties, they didn't know what that was like. She just looked like she was nuts. She couldn't stop crying. You know, she just, she had had my sister shell. So two kids. So what 
why was she crying? You know, handsome husband, the whole thing. So I did a whole paper on that. And boy, I got an A on that paper, let me tell you, because I had to compare her shock treatments with where the shock started, which was wow, euthanizing pigs before they would slaughter them. It would happen in Germany. It was a really a nasty story. But um, so my mom, you know, Ray, and then she had me five years after shock treatments. I always say, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I did say while she was pregnant with me, it was after, but still, <laughs> vibration, that energy, that frequency, and I'm like, bring it on. Yeah. Um, I had an addict over here, and I'm one with mental health issues over here. I never got to meet my mom, what she was white before they zapped her 12 times or how many times they zapped her. So I'm all over your show. I'm all over recovering out loud. I love being part of the conversation because part of having the conversation will help chisel down. You and I talked about that day at the yes. It helps chisel down a little of the social stigma, which then helps reduce the shame. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, you're so brave to really to do your recovery out loud, as you say, because it's really important for people to realize that it's it's I just did a movie in Arkansas about a country western singer. It's not a, a true story, but he, he has alcohol problems because he's self-medicating a pain that he you know, that he couldn't get over the loss of a brother, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, these stories are real and they and these stories help other people to realize we're all human you know we all may have a famous sister or a famous this or a famous that or we may come from you know and a man who sold air conditioning <laughs> or whatever it is right it's it's all it's all part of our part of our journey and we need to be brave enough to just say it because we're all so interconnected in this story you know, you're absolutely right. I'm so, Since I've gotten um, sober, one of the beautiful things I call it is a rebirth. Yeah. And I believe that when people are able to also lean into their mental health issues, whatever that might be for them, and there are some that are far more serious than others, but when we lean into it, when we're running from it, that's actually when you're going to get in trouble. That's, here's the ironic part, when we run from our, those things that scare us, is how actually you can end up leaving your body way too soon, right? You're not going to ever die from leaning into it and saying, I need help. Right. And for a generation, that was weak. If you couldn't deal with it yourself, you were weak. If you cried, you were weak, you know? Right. So I have to redo all that old uh, narrative and stuff. And I know people from my generation, we have that issue where it's like, yeah. I'm not saying you run around crying all day long. I'm not saying that. I mean, my God, people are so extremes. How about somewhere in the middle? You know? <laughs> right. Right. Either in the quarter ball and you can't go to work or it doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt. Right. It's like somewhere in the middle, people, you know, um, but we are connected. We're absolutely connected for sure. We're human beings. One hundred percent. How long have you been in recovery? Almost five years. I'll wow. be five years. Good for you. Congratulations. Thank you. This next month, let me tell you, I went through the pandemic and uh, when I first got out, my two teenage boys were a little, um, they were so happy and proud, but they were also teenagers. And I jumped in their lane because that's what you kind of do. At least I did. And uh, I got spanked. I got slapped. But I had an amazing sober coach. And believe it or not, um, you watch Down with Didi, you'll actually understand and know what a sober coach is. They're phenomenal. You know, problem is they come with, you know, you have to be able to hire them. They don't, insurance companies don't cover that. Uh, but Yeah, uh, which is so instrumental when you, it's one thing to get sober. It's nothing to address that mm-hmm. element often rehabs and i say this with love but they don't know 
they're not addressing the underlying other issues that are going on, which is the mental health issues. Let's just say yes. example trauma. Now, addiction's over here, trauma's over here. If you if you're really addressing the the addiction, that trauma is still there. Yeah. And that's the underlying stuff that you're looking at a relapse and vice versa. If you're addressing the trauma and not that addiction, that addiction is going to kneecap whatever work you're doing with the trauma. Absolutely. So, right. And we d- sadly don't look at it as a multidisciplinary wraparound way of dealing with these things unless you have somebody who knows both. And right. generally speaking, you're not. Not all clinicians are, I'm going to say, trained on dealing with both. And you're going to have to take your ego aside and say, hey, I'm going to help you with the addiction, but we do need someone to help you who's a professional in trauma. Yep. I know you're not one to two people, but I'm telling you, this is the way we're going to tackle this so that you have a shot at success in your recovery. Most don't even like think that way. And I'm I'm going to be the one to say, hey, you know, excuse me. Why not? You know, let's. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I just think that's important. Well, yes. you made it mentioned that insurance companies don't always cover the sober coach. And one thing that we've been learning on the on our, on our show through different interviews and with people in various industries is that insurance isn't covering a lot of things that's, that are happening. But aside from that, Dee Dee, what we've discovered is that the people that are graduating from college with a degree in social work is shrinking. And so I, we heard that you, we know you took a 10-year hiatus, and then you went back to UCLA, and you got your degree in social work. And I, and social services, and I, social work, not services, I want to, I first of all, applaud you. It's huge. And because it's so desperately needed, to, but also going back into a totally different arena from where you'd been, after everything you've been through, can you share with our listeners what that was like? Scary <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> I graduated high school in 82. Now, Meryl, were you even born, baby? Probably not. Anyway, I'm older than you. I'm older I'm than you. I'm 61. Winner! <laughs> <laughs> Hey, because I was, yeah, I had work done. If that's natural, we're going to have to talk off camera. Uh, <laughs> what vitamins are you taking? Because I need a bunch of those. Um, what the truth of it is, I graduated in 82. So with barely a high school education, if you really want to go there. So when I decided in my, I guess, what was that? Uh, I, I graduated in 2020. So when I decided to go to um, college, uh, um, I literally <laughs> just walked up the uh, driveway of a community college and went in and said, Hey, hi, I want to get a degree. and I want to help people. I thought it would take like a year. I had no idea what the heck I was even doing. And I walked in there. I said, hi, my name is Dee Dee and I want to help people. And she, and the guy goes, you look familiar. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Anyways. So <laughs> I help people. And he's like, well, what degree do you want? And I said, I don't know. You tell me. He goes, man, that's not the way it works. You tell me. And I said, well, I just want to help people. And he goes, well, are you talking a psych degree? I said, sure. Why not? Let's start there. That's how started. So first he goes, when did you go to I said, 82. He goes, oh Lord. So, so they just, <laughs> And they realized I didn't know anything about algebra. Are you kidding me? When they told me to write a paragraph about something, I wrote five pages, no periods, no capitals. <laughs> I went off. Oh, I was opinionated to no end. But I had no idea what a thesis came. I didn't know what anything was. And I asked them, this is a typo. They said, what do you mean now? This is like two uh, plus X equals 14. I said, excuse me, this is a typo. 
They said, where's the typo? I said, the X. Why is it X? And they said, oh, no, it's called algebra, Ms. Pfeiffer, algebra. I went, right. They're like, just answer the question. You just fill in a bubble. You know, and sure enough, they were like, wow, wow. So I thought prerequisites after prerequisites just to get to the AA in the community college degree, which took me four years. And I had two kids in tow, dragging them with me into tutoring with a fever. I get fine. get don't you know. And then, um, then I was able to get to CSUN and got my bachelor's of psych. And from there, I took a turn and decided social work was more of the degree I wanted because it was more diverse than a psych degree. It was biopsychosocial, macro, meso, and micro. So the degree is extremely layered. And I did not ever work with children because I was way too much of football. I would get arrested. So I worked with the older population, homelessness, and mental health, and of course, and addiction. So I took a year off in my two-year UCLA degree. I took three years to take a year off to get sober. It was at that point I hit my wall and went, wait a minute, I, I can't pretend anymore that there's not a problem here. Mm-hmm. And then I was graduating in 2020 when David, my brother-in-law, texted me saying, hey, are you still acting? Uh, you know, but what's so funny, and he then offered me Denise on Big Sky, but let me tell you what happened. I truly believe because of my sobriety and, and taking that year off, not knowing, not knowing, having a clue what was going to happen. I just knew I had to do the next indicated action the next just keep one foot in front of the other and believe in the process which is something you can't touch and have faith which faith works best in the dark (laughs) in a process that you can't touch talk about giving up all power and ego and all of that stuff and say somehow this will work itself out i don't know but i know that the way i was going i wasn't going to make it you know Right. And so I took a year off and I literally only worked on my sobriety and then went back to college to finish my last year. And that's when David said, hey, so at that point I knew, OK, I'm not a clinician. I'm not one on one. I'm terrible with that. But I didn't know how to merge my uh, at that point, almost 30 year acting career and my followers in with my education and my learned experience. I wanted to blend them together and help people on a larger scale. Yeah. Didn't know how that was going to happen. Bam, Big Sky gave me that opportunity, which is where I'm sitting in today. Wow. And now I'm blend it together. I'm going to use that platform to help more people than I ever could one-on-one. Well, it, that's amazing. That's so cool. Go ahead, Melissa. No, I'm just saying it's very smart. It's it really is. smart. It is. It's incredibly smart. Do you want to ask? Go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. I should stop this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> We've never been in the same room. I just so everybody who's listening, we're like first. This is the first time we've ever been in the actual same room it's like together. Being on the Brady Bunch. I keep so looking I'm like, oh my gosh, hair. what are you doing? Okay, good. <laughs> I screw up more because you're here. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so excited. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, you've all. I mean, you took that time off. So let me ask you in your did you feel as though when you when you before you hit uh, did you hit rock bottom was there like some sort of rock bottom that you hit before you went into recovery you know because that's the typical thing you know it's like yo you can't you got to hit that thing and, and and not until they get there you can't help anybody until they've hit rock bottom so t- explain maybe what that was for you or maybe you didn't maybe you just came to the realization that this had to end you know, Meryl, that's a really good point because I get asked that a lot. What was your bottom? And my answer is always the same. Which bottom? Yeah. When you're active in your disease, which is what addiction is, 
is a disease. And right now I'm not active in my disease, but when you're active in your disease, which is you're using your DOT, your drug of, uh, drug of choice, and that can be sex, gambling, mess, heroin, alcohol, work. There's a, when you're using something to an extent where it's affecting life in a negative way, uh, addiction could be it or not. I don't know. I'm not gonna make an assessment on, on this uh, <laughs> um, podcast, but that's certainly something to look at. You have to right. ask yourself, you know, right. when your heart is a problem, you right. know, you might be high active or um, I call them high functioning, which is yeah. what I was. But I knew there was something going on. Um, but it, again, that shame riddled me yeah. to know when to ask for help. I kept thinking I was a loser. Why can't I stop? Why can't I be like my sisters and brothers and everybody else? Why is it I stare at that half of glass of wine sitting across the table and she's not finishing it? Why aren't you finishing that? What is wrong with you? Everybody I know in my world, we finish all of that. And I'll drink everybody else's around the table. You're not person. We're so happy hour. We don't want to be unhappy and leave any alcohol behind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, oh, I'm like, no, I have a fucking, oh, excuse me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's have okay. A we'll bleep you. <laughs> well, you're going to be bleep, bleeping me like <laughs> Um. That's why my podcast, I'm like, oh, drop that F-bomb. I'm going to do it before you anyways. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. So bottoms, let's talk about that. For me, it was a multiple bottoms. But for whatever reason, at that time, I, for me, honestly, what the way it felt is I was exhausted yeah. from hiding. I was exhausted from feeling like a failure. I was exhausted from saying, wow, I can get A's in college, raise my kids on my own, make sure they make their soccer, the taekwondo, you know, um, do all of these things. But I cannot seem to harness this what i used to call the dragon you know yeah, w yeah, yeah. city it's a dragon trying to it feels like trying to train a dragon a wild dragon which is the name of my uh internal alcoholic which is wd city <laughs> wd believe it or not sounds for wild dragon and i got sober in my 50 city wd city is the name of my um wow. addict inside who likes to come out and go hey d you were just you, know, you were going through a bad time you just have one WD City, what are you saying? Oh, she did it. You better listen to that little voice when you start to, to undo the, all your work. When you start to rewind that work, stop, pull that car over, and throw that you know what back in the trunk of your car and get behind the wheel. Because I don't know about you, but my WD City, she don't know how to drive. <laughs> I'm like, uh uh-uh, Chica, I got this car, not you. And that's how I handle my sobriety, which is not today, Felicia. Uh uh. You know, but not today. I'm I'm on the roll. And even though I have hard moments, this is what it is. So I hit my bottom after the first year of my second year degree at UCLA. At that point, it had been a long run. Why? Uh, Who knows? I think the universe was saying, okay, D. Okay, and I started to look at 800 numbers on the TV, and it said oh, wow. anonymous 800 numbers. And I thought, you know, oh, gosh, I'm DD Fiverr, and I'm, I guess I can call and just be, you know, Jill Green. Green <laughs> Jill, I always wanted to be a Jill because my real name is Dorothy. So I thought I'll be Jill Green, and I'll call and just say, hey, how does this work? What do we do? Um, and I was just so scared. And at that same time, my family came to me and said, we'd like to do an a, uh, intervention. Wow. 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 And I looked at that family member and said, Oh my God, no, you know, no, you don't have to do that. I'll go. Just take care of my kids and my animals. I'll go. 
I'll go. And then they went, wait, wait, we, we expected a big F you. We did not expect that answer. So they went back to the, the, uh, <laughs> and said, she's willing to go. And they're like, what? And they were all dead, all bored. You know, we know she's not going to show up and it's going to be this whole like thing. And I said, no, I, I, I do need help. I didn't know how to ask. And at that point, wow. my stress started falling. Wow. She, they didn't know how to help me. I didn't know how to ask. It was actually really sad. They saw me slowly dying. And this is why I'm doing this out loud. Because there's so many people out there who are like me and my family where you're yes. like, we want to help, but we don't know how. We don't know how to have the conversation. And they could have easily gotten a royal F you from me had I been not ready for whatever reason. Right. In that That's right. right. That's exactly right. You're ready when you're ready. It's yeah. very subjective. I know yes. sometimes when you've lost everything, people are like, is she or he or they not ready? They lost everything. They're in the gutter. And guess what? Not yet. They're ready yeah. when they are. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly that's right. right. One of the hardest things. The same thing with mental health, right? You'll accept that treatment when you're ready. Yeah, and, right. that's, and that's that's probably one of the hardest things about being those around us. Yeah, it is. You want them to be rather ready than they're probably ready. So the best you can do is say, hey, I can see you're struggling. I love you. And when you're ready, let me know and I'll be here to help you seek help. And that goes for mental health and or addiction. Yes, so absolutely. That's all you can do, right? Yeah. Yes, it's a great tip. It's huge because people are wanting to know what they can do. We talked about in our last interview or a recent interview um, on a show, uh, Queen Charlotte, where the Dowager Queen comes to her son, Mad George the Third, after his wife, he and his wife have have a baby, and she asks him, "Are there any signs? As though there's some sign, you know, like a birthmark that indicates mental illness from the mad from the Mad King George, his right. son." And so the question lies: is people don't know what to do, and what you just said, offering love, and I'm here whenever you're ready. I'm always here is a huge it's a huge wall of support it's, it's a, a great huge tip. wall of support and and just being and, and i always say this it's like because you can never change anybody but you can hold space for some a, a, anybody right and, yeah. and just but you have to acknowledge that that's what you're doing because just like you, with your story which is so incredible because you were ready you know it was like the universe was aligning and you were ready it was time for you to like step in and and be your best you know, be your best self, but you didn't know that. And had you known prior, you know, had your had your family been able to say, oh, I really want to help you. And I'm just going to I'm going to step back until you're ready. Uh, it would have been nice, but whatever. But it's but that's the thing. Nobody knows how to address this. And that's kind of what my mission is. And I think it's kind of your mission with with helping people with addiction is just giving them opportunities to be able to get the help that they need right mm -hmm. you know it's it, yeah and we're not used to not jumping in other people's lanes you know well you need to do this and you need to do that that's kind of i always call that old chatter right. old old stuff kind of like this here's a good one that's also old chatter is he or she or they uh, clean or dirty and I'm like, well, what do, are you talking about their sobriety or are you talking about whether they need a shower? Because I'm right now not active in my disease, but I'm dirty as heck because I need a shower. But that does not mean <laughs> 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 clean. And I go, I always go, I don't want to make anyone feel bad, but I go, oh, you mean, do, do they need a shower? And they're like, oh, is that a bad thing to say? I said, well, you know what it is? And I never want to make anyone feel bad. 
you know, because I still use old terminology sometimes that my younger friends go, oh, or my kids are like, Mom, we don't say that anymore. I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. And I get really defensive. And like, I'm like, no, seriously, what, are, what is it we're saying? Can you tell me? The, the legal <laughs> it's what so true. We're not, the, we're the generation is like, uh-oh, did I just stick my foot in my mouth again? I've never heard clean or dirty. That's amazing. I haven't either. You want to make sure language goes out real fast. Just yep. start using it on your kids. Because it becomes <laughs> uncool when I started saying like, oh, that's so bad. They're like, okay, now that's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, man. It's the quickest way to make sure that dialogue is out, out of the house. Um, but oh, I think gosh. that, you know, it's it's through education. and But the education coming from love and understanding, it is really hard for those around. Yes. Oh, by the way, I just want to circle back around about the insurance thing. They Here, I was in rehab with people whose insurance companies told them after one or two months, you're done. Oh. you're done and they're yeah, holding on for dear life no i'm not ready and these are like you know we i call them meth heads because some of my best friends are ex meth heads this wow. i don't call them that well hello <laughs> no. Fine. no and then they they're gonna be quiet it's okay they're they're not quite here that. yet <laughs> they're not here yet you didn't see that. We were going to talk to you about the paranormal <laughs> anyway. On my show, we talk about the paranormal. That's why it's like, hello, Jeff. <laughs> we, were, were we connecting another lifetime? Did oh, you my just... God. No, no, no. We just, uh, sorry about that. Anyway, we are we are running out of time. We got to have we you love, back. We, we got to have, have you back, back. because Please you have back. so... So many important things to share, and oh, yeah. your your story is just so human and so real, and so and I love you, and I just wish I was in the same room with you so we could give you a big old hug. But I know how amazing you are, and I can't wait to be on your show because I'm going to do that in a couple of weeks. And um, Didi, thank you so much for sharing so bravely and so courageously your journey. We are so grateful that you came on, and and we love you, and you got to come back, and that's all there is to it. Yeah, this is what life's about right here with you guys. Thank you so, so much for giving me this beautiful opportunity. Uh, you're, you're the very best. Welcome. You're the best. And stay where you are. You're listening to Outcomes the Sun podcast radio show. We will be back with an energy tip from Melissa Yamaguchi. everyone you are listening to the morning show with Marielle Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi right here on KZSB 96.9 FM and 1290 AM in Santa Barbara every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong <laughs> my life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be Every instinct I have in every aspect of life, be it something to wear, something to eat, it's up and wrong. <laughs> Tuna on toast, coleslaw, cup of coffee. Yeah. No, 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 wait a minute. I always have tuna on toast. Nothing's ever worked out for me with tuna on toast. I want the complete opposite of tuna on toast. Chicken salad on rye. Untoasted with a side of potato salad and a cup of tea. Well, there's no telling what can happen from this. Chicken salad's not the opposite of tuna. Salmon's the opposite of tuna, because salmon swim against the current, and the tuna swim with it. 
Good for the tuna. Uh, George, you know that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents don't approach strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. Yes. I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me, uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. <laughs> oh, yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. <laughs> my name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. I'm Victoria. Hi. <laughs> This is Diddy Pfeiffer, and you are listening to me on Out Comes the Sun with Meryl Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. And you can look for me on my old podcast about to launch here soon called Down with Diddy. And next, Energy with Melissa Yamaguchi. Welcome back to Outcomes the Sun with Meryl Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. I'm Melissa and I'm here to share a tip with you on energy. One of my favorite lessons in energy is that of Ikigai. And Ikigai is really just the happiness of always being busy. And, and from this happiness of staying busy, you then experience youthfulness and joy and purpose in your life. So I want to share, if I may, some of the most important tenets of Ikigai and how we work with them in feng shui and energy. First of all, it's Ikigai is is a, a practice that is utilized in Japan and in and the probably the most prevalent place where it's recognized is in Okinawa. And in Okinawa, for every 25 people out of a hundred, so a fourth of the people of a hundred. So every 25 people out of are over a hundred, I'm sorry, are a hundred years old for every 100,000 people there are. So 25 people out of every hundred are over a hundred years old out of every hundred thousand people there are. A largest group of people over 100 years old anywhere else in the world. So these are some of the key components, and I hope my math worked out there. I'm realizing now that I could have some people scratching on chalkboards to figure out what I just said. The most important aspects of Ikigai, to, to obtain Ikigai, is to understand the importance of community. Having a group of people around you that you can be not only contact and do something with, but perhaps meet up with and connect with each other and also hold each other accountable. Did you make your appointment? Have you talked to your daughter? How, you know, how are your roses? Whatever the connections are. But as we age, as those of us are lucky and fortunate enough to age, 
we start to lose family members and friends and loved ones. So then our circle becomes smaller and it shrinks and our, our connections do. So it's important that we create communities in new areas, whether it's at the, the temple, the synagogue, the church, or it's the local community center where you go and meet up with people. I don't care if you're playing bingo, but it's staying active regardless of your age. Pickleball, whatever you want to do. Also, it's nurturing friendships. Those friendships that you do have, making it making an effort and a point to stay in contact with people. And I'm not just talking to any of us over the age of 100. I mean, for all of us, I encourage my children who are 21 and 23 to be very actively engaged with their friends, reach out to them, check on them, see how they're doing to build these threads of relationship. And once they've learned these practices, they can take them with them throughout life, certainly. Um, eating light. Now that's an odd addition to Ikigai, right? But the importance of this is that when you eat lighter, your food is not as heavy and, and saturated, then you're able to move, which is the next point that I wanna make with Ikigai. It's daily movement. It's staying busy. It's not sitting down on the chair and staying there. Now, certainly we can get tired and want to take a rest. This isn't about that. It's not even about those who like to take a midday nap, but it's about keeping yourself busy, staying active. And then most importantly is getting enough rest, which goes back to the nap thing. There have been studies out recently that talk about the benefits of taking a nap and how we, you know, there used to be a time when people were made to feel guilty after if you were pulling out a mat and taking a nap after kindergarten, then you were seen as as you were laughed at, but that we're seeing the benefits of that. So certainly getting enough rest and going back to many of the messages that Meryl and I both have shared on the importance of setting your bedroom up for pure comfort. So let's practice the art of Ikigai. I'll do it with you. I do it already daily and I it's an important part of my life to your health through the lessons of Feng Shui. Now stay tuned, don't go anywhere. Coming up next is Meryl Hemingway to talk to you about balance. You're listening to Out Comes the Sun. interested in how I present myself. If those kind of superficialities are important to you, this probably isn't going to work. <laughs> Take it easy. Take it easy. It's not the end of the world. Hey, baby, have a little tongue action, huh? <laughs> yeah, stick your tongue down his throat. <laughs> what are we going to do? Should we just move? It won't be necessary. <laughs> Shut your trunks and stop kicking the seats! We're trying to watch the movie! 
And if I have to tell you again, we're going to take it outside and I'm going to show you what it's like. Do you understand me? Now shut your mouths or I'll shut them for you. And if you think I'm kidding, just try me. Try me. Because I would love it. Are you sure you don't want to come up? I mean, it's only 9.30. I don't think we should. We really don't know each other very well. Who are you, George Costanza? I'm the opposite of every guy you've ever met. And now, Mariel Hemingway with Balance. So everybody, you're listening to Outcomes of Sun Radio. And, you know, there's just not enough time for my balance today because I'm a little rickety rackety and I'm falling over. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just going to remind you really quick balance tip. Get out there, get some sunshine whenever you can. When it comes out, because I know it's been foggy in Southern California. If you can get a moment in the sun, just do it because it's one of the best things you can do. On that note, we're going to close out today. We've had such a great time. We love being here with you. And, you know, we're going to see you again soon. Choose healthy. Choose you. Out comes the sun. Please go to MarielHemingwayFoundation.org. Help us create a resource navigator for people with mental health issues. We're coming up with solutions. Out Comes the Sun has been a production of Evolve Entertainment. Hosts, Mariel Hemingway and Melissa Yamaguchi. Executive producer, Jeremiah Higgins. Sound engineer and producer, Richard Dr. D. Dugan. And sound engineer, Slater Smith. Thank you for listening. <laughs>